Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkinson. I'm here talking all things sporting. Salford, join me on the show this week. As ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sporting. Salford and beyond. Hi, Rob. Yeah, yeah, certainly I'm Rob. Plenty to go out as well, isn't there? As, as we always say every week. So, um, yeah, looking forward to another good show. It's going to be lots and lots to talk about on the show Paul we're going to start with the rugby league and we'll start with Salford Devils last week uh, managing director Paul King uh, put out a public announcement regarding the negotiations uh, of in the uh, area about Salford Devils current plight about getting staying in the Salford uh, Stadium uh, with the council and Peel Holdings both negotiating a deal uh, for the council to take over the running of the uh, the stadium and uh, Paul King wasn't happy about the time it's taken. No, no, uh, that that's right. I mean, he's been um, he's something that needs sorting out really Rob, isn't it? Especially with the way things are going at the moment with the IMG and things like that. You need to... Uh, have these things in in process, don't you? And plans in process and what have you. But I think Paul's every every right. It's been the last sort of minute, really, hasn't it? So um, it does need sorting out. You know, we need to know where we're at. The supporters need to know where they're at, and, and the players and, and the club do, don't they? You don't want to be going into a new season in limbo, worrying about your the 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 you know the state of where you're going to be playing and things like. That. It's, it's a massive thing, isn't it? Being being settled in your stadium. It is. It is, Paul, and. It's obviously an opportunity for the club to improve the terms of the lease. Um, obviously, being there ten years, original negotiations took place, uh, and we both we all know that uh, the club, the Sulphur Devils Club, don't receive or well, didn't receive any uh, sort of food or drink income uh, or ticket income through the stadium. They obviously, they've had to agree uh, other other deals with the other operators in that regard. Um, so it is really an opportunity for Salford the rugby league club to create uh, other incomes uh, in that structure to help benefit the club. Yeah, the the, the structure that the, that we had there, it, it the, you know the, the the sort of terms and conditions of it all seemed a bit fishy to me. Really, from the start, it wasn't wasn't really what we expected, was it? You know, not making any money from drinks and food and things like that. It, it was almost like being a tenant in a house. And not being able to go in certain rooms, you know, it, it was a strange, strange setup, really. And I, I don't know of any other clubs who who have got that. It's like having your hands tied behind your back a bit, really, isn't it? So, if we can get improvements to that and and make some more, you know, income on on match days, and you know, you just think about just little simple things like not having a club shop at the at the ground. You know, these these are fundamentals, really. That, Every sporting club should have, you know, if you go like to a, a League One team or a, or a or a Championship side, surely teams can can make money off you know things on match days and be able to sell merchandise at the at the ground in a proper shop and things like that, you know, and, and your food and drink and you know these these are just little things that help keep the, the club going, don't they? And that that income is is valuable. So if we can improve the the terms and conditions of of, of the stadium, then it can only be a good thing. And it's all parking obviously talks about the delays affecting the club's financial strategy and how he thinks you know if he knew what the delay knew the delay was coming uh, he would have done things differently within the club and that's a that's a problem really because Salford aren't an active member in these negotiations like you said they're like a tenant in a house but obviously you need to know what's going on in your house so you can organize your own financial uh you know way of life 
That's right. And I think the way sport and rugby league is structured these days, I mean, you've got to be thinking forward thinking about you know not just 2024 you're thinking about 2025 2026 you're always a couple of years in front aren't you whether that's with your recruitment or your financial plan or or, or whatever so yeah and like you said there it, it, it is like being a tenant in a house and you know you're not allowed to decorate you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that and you know, rugby league these days now you, you need to know what what's happening. You know, look at the the player recruitment. You know, we've lost you know Brodie Croft and um, and Andy Ackers there, haven't we? Due to you know finance things that you know and, the, and things that probably we didn't want to happen to us, and, and we weren't expecting. I don't think if you'd asked Paul King sort of six six games towards the end of last, last season, would Brodie Croft not be there? He probably wouldn't have said yes, would he? Because he, he didn't know. So. Um, so yeah, we've we've ended up behind the eight ball a little bit, really, haven't we? So um, you, you need to know where you're at with these money money situations now, and just just so you can plan things because it's it's tough, it's tough by a balancing acts, isn't it? You know, especially when we're a club with no benefactor on that, and we've got to balance the books and make sure we can pay players. You, you need the right amount of players in the squad as well, so you know to compete. So it, it must be so so difficult to run. Mm. And they obviously talk about the IMG coming in uh, and Salford's grade B at threat, obviously because they need to have a five-year uh, lieutenancy on the ground they play at. And at the moment they don't, which will affect, uh, I think it's one point in the, the total grading, which will take away that uh, B licence. So it, the stakes are high uh, in this uh, game that the club, the council and Peel are playing. They certainly are, yeah. I mean... It's all going to change, isn't it? You know, next season, the season after, and um, you know, those Super League places are going to be sought after, aren't there? There's other sides as well that are just below us in that championship who've got ambitions and who own their own stadiums and things like that who are probably financially better off than us at the moment. So, um, the way things are going, so we've got to be careful, you know, we want to be there. I mean, you've only got to look at Wakefield, who've dropped down to the championship, they've got new investment, new owners coming in, a lot of ambition there. They're going to be gunning for a place in the in the Super League. You've got Toulouse down there as well, Bradford, Featherstone. So, there's a lot of sides that are going to be chasing these, you know, 12 places. Are they going to increase it to 14 places? We're not too sure, but we want to make sure Salford are are a part of that don't we I mean at the end of the day we, we're in that Super League on merit because we got promoted um, in 2008 I think that's the last time we went up and we've still we've been up there all that time haven't we so um, we want to make sure we stay there we don't want something you know a financial problem or or some something where we've just let something lapse or something's not quite right you know you lose your place in the top flight I mean if you lose it through the, through rugby on the pitch then fair enough but if it's something like your tenancy on your ground or losing points on this IMG thing that'd be a real kick in the teeth mm. and Paul King talks about uh, the central funding which if Salford did uh, drop out of the Super League will go down from 1.31 million to 50,000 a season obviously would put the 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 club at serious risk of liquidation. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not worried about the club sort of dying because I, I think I'm pretty certain there's enough people at the club who care about it enough to keep it going. So, if you was to drop out of Super League, I'm pretty sure you'd better operate in League One or, or whatever. So, um, not worried about that really. But it's 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 a worry if you if you you know you talk about the top flight rugby league in the city. You know once once you were to drop down now the way things are going, it's probably very very difficult to get back into Super League. You know you think back sort of 10, 20 years ago, you drop down to the um, the Championship or the National League One as it was called. Then you did get that parachute payment and 
you know, when we've been relegated in the past, we've managed to mould a, a really good side together and you know, we've got the nucleus of good support as well. And we've always come back, haven't we, and, and, and won that league below and, and come back stronger. But whether that would be the same this time, I'm not so sure because that funding, you know, 50 grand is, is not a lot at all, is it really? Does that... That probably plays a, a player's wages for twelve months, not a two players wages. So it's it's nothing at all. So yeah, you, you're looking at going part time, then aren't you? You're looking at where you're playing. You're looking at sponsorship. Where's money going to come from? Are you going to have enough players? Are, are you going to have supporters? So all these questions are asked. Then so I think I, I think we'd probably be okay, but you don't want it to have to come to that, really, do you? Mm. Salford's uh, mayor, Paul Dennett produced a statement asking all parties to come to the table and negotiate. Obviously, very important. We've got to talk about the people of Salford, their council tax payments, uh, you know, paying for uh, hospitals, um, you know, roads. Important that obviously their money is put in the right place. I'm sure he has an eye on that when he's deciding about him and the other people of people in the council are deciding what to do next. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, let's just hope it all gets sorted because, you know, we've had a rugby league team for 150 years, haven't we, in the city? And, you know, a rugby league team that's given so much to the city, so much pleasure and probably a bit of pain as well for some of the defeats we've had over the years. But, you know, it's a beacon in the community. It's a hub of the community. And, you know, I know they've got a football team there as well. But the rugby league team's been there a long time. It's one of the most famous rugby league teams there is. And, you know, we've got a rich and illustrious history. And and you want it to still be there, you know. People need a focal point and something to do in the city, and, and the the club is is far much more than you know. Thirteen blokes taken to the field at, at weekend. You've got a ladies' team there. You've got all the other teams we've got there. All the good work the Reds, um, Red Devils Foundation do in the community. So there's, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on underneath the Salford Red Devils banner. Um, and, and let's hope that that continues. But you know, it, it's funny you, you talk about finances and things like that. It, it, you wonder where it all goes sometimes. I mean, when we sold the Willows, that, that land there must have been worth a few bob and do we ever know where any of that money went to? So it it, it, it does seem strange sometimes. A lot of things go on, don't they? You don't hear about and and um, let's just hope this gets sorted. I know Peel Holdings and, you know, they're, they're notoriously difficult to deal with, I believe, from what we said and, you know, the council as well. It always seems difficult to me to get people round a table and get people talking, doesn't it? But the sooner they do that, the, the the better, really, and everything gets sorted out. Yeah, obviously the the cost cost, which is the people that run the stadium, which is a joint venture between Peel and the council. Obviously, they're the negotiation party in this with the council, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, Paul. And you know, we we like you said, we talk about you know all the different aspects of the club and and how it sort of serves the community being the you know a professional sports team in Salford gives people hope gives people ambition uh, you know to better themselves under that beacon of, of Salford Devils yeah and you take that away and it leaves a massive hole in people's lives doesn't it you know not just the people who go and support the team but all the people who volunteer all the all the kids that get involved in it um, all the various other teams that we've got as well and yeah it, 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 you know you've got a lot of people playing for um the younger sides now, and you've got your under-16s teams there, and like we said before, the ladies' team, and 
PDRL, you've got a wheelchair team coming up as well. It's an awful lot of people that play under the Salford Red Devils banner and not just play, but get involved and watch as well. And, you know, you take that away from them and it does, does leave a big hole. So we want things to be sorted out. And, you know, we're not asking a lot, really, I don't think, to be honest with you. I mean, you need that. I think every town needs needs something. You need a sporting team. You need something there in your community. You need something for people to believe in and something for people to get, you know, get into and, and get along with. And, you know, Salford's done that for, for many, many years. You know, you've got Swinton up the road as well, who, who, who we talk about on this show, who, who've been out of their city for, for a long time, out of their town, should I say, since 1992. And, and they've, they've battled on it and kept going as well. And that's credit to them. But, you know, the, these teams, sometimes they need a helping hand. You know, you've got Rochdale on, it's Oldham just up the road as well, who, who are probably not as financially what it offers as Salford are. So, They've managed to battle on and keep going, and I think sometimes rugby league needs to, to look at it and just help help teams out because we've seen a lot of teams go to the wall. You've only got to look at League One. Look how many teams have dropped out of that this this season. You know, going into the new season, I think they're down to about eight teams. I think now, so it's um, something worrying there that, that teams are falling by the wayside. So um, it's something rugby league needs to to look at really and keep their eye on. Yeah. You talked about teams playing under the Salford Devils banner. Uh, our ladies team have appointed a new head coach. Uh, Mike Grady has been appointed as new head coach for the ladies. Ex-South uh, uh, Wales Scorpions coach, um, witness assistant and the Sp- Spanish national team coach as well. So high pedigree uh, coming into our club. Yeah, he seems an experienced guy. I don't really know that much about him. I have read uh, where he's been before. I do remember him being at Witness, spending time there. I do remember him at South Wales as well. So, so yeah, he's been around. He's you know he's got a lot of experience there under his belt, and I'm sure he'll bring good things to to the Salford ladies. Good work ethic and and that knowledge of the sport as well. So uh, it's an exciting appointment that for him, and, and an exciting opportunity. And I think it's it's credit to the, the, the ladies team that we've got people of that high you know calibre who've been interested and who've actually applied for the job so you know it just shows you it's um it's, it's a privileged position that you know to probably privilege is the wrong word but you know what I mean don't it's a, it's a, it's a good position that people want to be in you know what they're interested in in applying for it and uh, you know there's that um, I'm struggling for a word there I'm, I'm looking for but but you know what I mean don't you? it's a, it's, a, it's a hot sort of property job isn't it really if you like that people want to be in so I think he'll I think he'll do a good job there and it's a good appointment for us yeah and obviously Joe due to the restructuring uh, of the women's game, Salford have been uh, demoted back to the championship, uh, Paul. Um, Obviously, disappointment after winning it last year and getting into the Super League, but they are experienced at this level. Uh, They've kept the nucleus of the team together. There is um, an open trial that's due to take place in the next couple of weeks for ladies who want to get involved. There's also one for Swinton Lions as well, so it's great uh, that ladies in the city have this opportunity to play for two uh, great clubs. Swinton Lions were promoted to the Championship after uh, in uh, last year's success. So both teams in the same division uh, will, you know, put up a, a very good performance in, in the derbies to come. Yeah, I think that that's definitely one where we've got to play that game, I think, on the main pitch before the men's game. You know, the, the derby between the two, I think that, that'd that be great. It was really good when they, they played that first game against each other and, uh, you know, the old Swinton rivalry, we don't get to see much of it anymore at the, at the men's, do we, unless we have a friendly with, with Swinton. But, you know, that would be great to see. It'd be very, very competitive. As you said, with Salford, you know, dropping back down into to the championship. You know, I think it's... Um, 
No, the motivation is going to be there for them to do well. You know, you you want to get back there and get back up into that that, that Super League group, don't we? So, you know, it's, it might be a bit of a setback, but we've had that before at Salford, haven't we? Where we I mean, look at the men's side in the nineties, we had to win the the first division twice, didn't we, to get promoted to the Super League? So, you know, that could just be the motivation they need to to go out there and and really sort of back down on that gum shield and, and give it everything next season and have a really really successful year. You know, get everything in order. You know, under a new coach as well, really go for it, win the league and get back up there. Yeah, obviously 2024 in rugby league, uh, massive changes in the sport with the IMG coming and every game uh, to be televised uh, with video referees involved. It's it's certainly a sort of a, a big moment in the history of the, the sport and important year going forward. Yeah, it certainly is. A lot's been made about this IMG thing, hasn't it? So, um, you know, it's up to the, the clubs to produce now and up to the rugby league and, and the Super League to produce as well. Um, let's hope it's a success. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the video referee and things like that, but if it's going to be every every game, let's let's see how it works and are we going to have enough video referees and, and, and people? So we have to recruit a few, I think, won't we? So both recruit a few commentators as well if all the games are on the television. Um, but no, it's it's exciting. It really is exciting. I hope it doesn't take away from the fact that you know supporters go to the matches. I hope it's not one of them where oh it's on the telly, we'll stay at home and watch it because you want the game game to cr- to prosper and and people to go and watch it and the crowds to increase. And let's hope that happens because you know rugby league's a wonderful sport. It really is. It's a it's a great product. You only have to look at the matches when they're on the telly and you watch them as a, as a neutral when Salford are not playing. And I watch the Friday night games and the the Saturday games and, and whenever they're on the telly, the Channel Four games some cracking matches have been on so uh, it's a great product and uh, we just want people to get behind it and watch it and let's hope it grows yeah talk about the, the video referees obviously a lot of talk in football about the VAR and how it functions and how it involve, is involved in the game how it stops the flow of the game and how it referees it different what do you think can football learn from the way rugby league uses its video referee to improve football and its way it uses VAR well, my my opinion on it, Robbie, I don't know whether you'll agree with me, but I, I don't think it works in football. I mean, I don't like it in rugby league, but I think for football, it's just killing football. I think it's it, it just doesn't need it. I don't think it ever needed it. I think football, great sport, great excitement. You know, goals are celebrated, last-minute goals. We've seen so many over the years, so many like great moments. This, this VAR just ruins it for me because you don't know whether the goal's been given because you've got to hang on for 10 minutes then while they look at the telly monitors and they can't get that right. So I think it's just technology gone too far in football. It's something you could do without. Um, in rugby league, it's been there for a long time now, but I don't know whether it's added anything to the sport, really. You probably have got things right from it, but I think the sport cope you know, fine without it, to be honest with you. So, uh, But I think rugby league's probably got it better than football. I think the way football do it. It just seems to take too long, and you know, spoils the, the flow of the game. You know, I mean, I can. If you're going to use it for like judging whether the balls cross the line, then fair enough, because that those sort of moments are, you know, few and far between, aren't they? But the, the amount of things they use it for now, you know, penalty decisions, offsides, and this, that, and the other, you're just stopping the game for for something where you could have just made a decision, really. So, I think you've asked a lot of football fans. I, I don't think they like it. Yeah, I think with rugby because they go, they can only go back as far as the last tackle, can't they? But with football, yeah. there's it's a flow in it. I mean, if you go back to like the last throwing, let's say for example, you can go back. I don't know, ten minutes maybe. Uh, yeah. How the the video referees sort of say right, you can all go back so far, and then 
an incident might happen just before then. There's no clear way for me uh, from Rabel to sort of make it work. Obviously, it's come into the game now. It needs to stay in the game for me because obviously all games are, are sort of video refereed under the same rules. But I suppose in rugby league, it is a bit different because until this season, you've had three games on Sky a week, but the rest don't play on Sky. So for me, referees referee the game different when they, when they have an opportunity to look back and see if they made the right decision. Yeah, I think in football it just seems like an anti-climax. I mean, I can think of think of three matches really that I, that I've sort of watched between sort of City and United games. You've got the '99 final against Bayern Munich. You've got City's '99 playoff final against Gillingham, and then um, the Aguero moment. I mean, with VAR, those last-minute goals there. I mean, you take away the ecstasy and that that sort of is your supporter where you're transported to somewhere which is like an out-of-body experience, you know, mm-hmm. something like that, where you're like, wow, what's just that? We've just we've just won this, this, you know, a great comeback, you know, two goals there in the last minute in, was it in Barcelona that night, and I remember watching it on the telly. And, um, you know, if you've got VAR, it's like, wow, we've just scored that last-minute goal. Hang on a minute, though. We just need to check it all now. Yeah. And it just takes away that, that glorious moment that you'll never forget because those sort of games that are going to go, they'll go down history as... You know, things that people talk about in 50, 60 years' time, won't they? 100 years' time or whatever. But whereas now, if there's VAR and that, it just it just takes away that little bit of magic for me. And I don't, I don't know. Would would the, the 99 game against Bayern Munich been the same if it had been VAR? Mm. It's like, I tell you what it's like, Paul. It's like when a, a striker scores and he's not sure whether he's onside or offside, and he, he scores and looks at the linesman to see if, what the linesman is doing. But everyone does that. They score, yeah. and then they're just waiting for whatever in the ether above them for a red light or a green light to go off to say whether they scored or not, which, like you said, takes the magic away because you you, you lose that XC moment. So that's all the football chat now. So we're joined by James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sport and soul for the beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and Paul, so I can't wait to get stuck right in. Yeah, exciting times. Lots going on in the world of boxing. Yeah, there is. There really is. Obviously, these cards over the last couple of weeks have come thick and fast. The Saudi Arabian announcements have come in. Obviously, controversial in its own right, but we'll get on to that. But let's look at the the big facts that have been made, and we'll kick off with Fury versus Usyk. Paul, we've waited so long for it. We've gone back and forth. Will it be made? Won't it be made? We've got it. Yeah, it's about time. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? And um, it's one of those that we we thought wasn't going to be made. But I think watching, oh, I didn't watch it, but I've, I've read about it and seen little highlights of it. You know, Tyson Fury was last out in a few weeks ago. I think it's disappointing for me, really. I think if you are Tyson Fury, I think if it was me, if I was Tyson Fury, I think I want to jump in with Usyk now just to just to get myself back on track, really, and prove to people that I've still got it because there was times in his last outing where he looked like he hadn't got it anymore. So I think if he's, if he's still got that hunger and that desire, I think he's got to do something now, hasn't he? And uh, stop, stop the talking and, uh, you know, and, and let, let his, um, his actions do the, the, the business in the ring. I mean, when we talk about Tyson Fury, somebody who all those years ago in Dusseldorf beat Vladimir Klitschko, somebody who's been renowned for his movement, that seems to have been slowing as of late. He's abused his body. We all know that. Against Francis Ngannou, he looks slower. Somebody 
Ngannou, a great, great fighter, fantastic in the world of MMA, but not necessarily a boxer. I think we were both expecting Fury to win it a lot easier than he did. Where's his legacy at the moment? Because obviously he's spoken about being the greatest, being up there with your Arlies, your Foremans, your Frasers, your Tysons, your Vandy Holyfields, etc. And he's just arguably been beat by an MMA fighter. So where is the legacy of Tyson Fury right now? I don't I, I don't think he's anywhere near the likes of Alan Alley. I think he probably needs about eight eight real top wins to get himself in that sort of neck of the woods because you look at some of these guys, you know, like Saform and Ali, people like that, even Lennox Lewis, you look at their records and you look at Tyson Fury's record and how many people, I mean, yeah, he's, he's beat Wilder, he's beat Klitschko, you know, with older Klitschko, who was sort of at the back end of his career. I mean, there's not that many people on his record that you'd say, wow, what a great win. I don't think so. I think I think he's talking has, has done has done the business for a long time now. He's waffled on a good fight. And yeah, there's no doubt yet he got off the canvas and did a great, you know, won a great fight against Deontay. Well, that's, there's no doubt about that. But I think his career's stalled and, and, and fights haven't been made for one reason or another. And, you know, he's not going to be around forever, is he, at, at top level? You know, he's getting older, you get a bit slower, you know, you don't make the decisions as quick, your timing's not quite there. And, Perhaps he's getting to that stage now where he's not as good as what he was five or six years ago. And and to me, it's the right time now, I think, to fight Usyk. It's a dangerous fight, though, against Usyk. Usyk's no mug, no, you know, no mug whatsoever. And he'll be switched on. He'll be training. He's the sort of fighter that that doesn't talk trash and, and get involved in this sort of thing. You know, Usyk will get his head down and he'll be training every hour God sends. You know, he really is a dedicated man. And Tyson Fury's going to have to be on his best to, to even be able to get anywhere near his suit. Sorry, can I just jump in there, James? Question for both of you. Is this a big, uh, sort of a great time in the heavyweight boxing division? Obviously, you talk about Tyson Fury, you talk about Joshua, you talk about Usyk. Uh, is it obviously, is there any more fighters that are in that uh, sort of category who are pushing to be uh, the, sort of the, the best heavyweight of all time, James? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you look at this lineup right now. We've got Fury, Usyk, Wilder, Joshua. And outside of that mix, somebody who I perhaps put in as the dark horse of this whole thing is uh, the Chinese power, Zili Zhang. I think after his big victory over Joe Joyce, I think he's got a real good chance of entering that mix. I think he's got a humongous following back in China. Over 12 million people watched his last fight, which is utterly insane when you compare that to the UK uh, ratings. I know obviously there's a bigger population in China, but Paul, when you look at this landscape, where do you put Zhang? Is he he in that mix? Is he right up there with the big boys? And could he potentially be a dark horse to beat them all? I think he could be, James. I think when you've got a following like that and the the belief that he's got, and you know, his will to win, I I think so, yeah. I mean, you've got a couple of... I think you've got those four, maybe five with with Zhang in there. Then after that, you've you've not got much, really. Your people on the outside with with the likes of Chisora, the Joseph Parkers of this world, and, you know, Joe Joyce is, 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 is knocking about there, isn't he, as well? But... I don't think the division's as good as what it was, to be honest with you. And you know, we we spoke about Joshua, and yeah, he's he's done well in his career, but has he got to the the stages that we thought he might get to? I don't think he has. I think he, he could have been better than what he has been. Um, he's still got time time left, but you know, your legacy is defied by time. Really, eventually, your time runs out, so you, you've got to get these fights in and, and get the wins and that, and, and you know, really go for it. So. 
you know, for, for Fury and and Joshua now, there's no time like the present. You know, they want to be up there in those with those Hall of Famers. You know, they've, they've got to do something now and, and, and make these big fights happen. There's no point keep talking about them. These need, need making. But to answer your question, yeah, Zhang, from what I've seen of him, there's no substitute for speed and there's no substitute for power. And, you know, I don't think he's the quickest man in the world, but that power that he possesses and carries, he catches you one of them. Good night at Vienna. So he's got every chance in the world. And a name we've not mentioned there, Rob, is Francis Ngannou. Mm. And from your perspective, you've watched a man who me and Paul said had no chance whatsoever. He's come in. He's arguably beaten Fury. It was a very close fight. From your perspective, how big a shock was that for you that this was even remotely competitive? And should he be in and around rank with these big names? Yeah, it just makes me think the whole world of boxing makes a mockery of it all because this guy, yeah, true, he is a UFC uh, champion. Uh, he just walked into the ring. Obviously, he's been trained in the arts of boxing. Comes in and knocks Tyson Fury down. Obviously, we talk about Tyson Fury and has, has he lost that edge? Is, is he slowing down? But He's still heavyweight world champion, and uh, he should never have had been in the same sort of ring as Ngannou. So it's going to be interesting to see how you know the sport portrays him. Does he get another opportunity uh, to to have a real go at, at Tyson Fury or any other uh, heavyweight boxing uh, you know fighter in that division? So it's going to be very, very interesting. Obviously, we're excited about fights that are to come and, and you know, potential fights on the horizon for all the fighters, James. And it will be interesting to see how he fits into that. It, it most certainly will be. And when you look at how everything's formed at the moment, we marinated this fight between Fury and Usyk, which is always a risk. And both of them had controversial outings. Fury, a points decision that some critique whether he won it or not, and then there was Usyk with the low blow as well, and you've got people arguing whether it was, whether it wasn't low. Do you think the fact that they've marinated this fight and it's happening now when they're both coming in off controversial performances, Robert, has it killed your interest at all in this super fight that's finally well, been made? it's turning sort of more into WWE wrestling. Uh, it's all about the backstory. It's all about the drama, you know, what's around, you know, the actual action. Um, obviously, I think there's there's fights to come where um, is it Joshua and, and there's other fighters on the same bill fighting two separate people. I mean, I'm sure if you can get uh, you together in the same building at the same time on the same day, why not just fight each other? Why are you fighting two separate fighters uh, when you know the, the the general sort of boxing public want the matchup? It's crazy, Rob. I completely agree with you. And before we touch on that, because I think it's really integral that we break that down and the business aspects of it. Paul, last one on Fury music for you. In terms of the mind games going into this one, we've seen Fury in the past wind people up, but it's been playful. He's been witty. He's been almost charming in his approach. With Usyk, he's been a lot more aggressive. Do you think he's feeling the nerves himself? Do you think he's concerned that he can't get into Usyk's head? Do you think there could be some doubts going into this one after what happened in the Angani fight? Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. I think Tyson Fury now is starting to to think. I, I think for a, for a long time he thought he was invincible, um, but I think that into invincibility is hard word to say that is is faded slightly. Um, I, I think he knows now that there is flaws in his game, and people can see that. Um, you know, you, you think back to heavyweights and, and I always think back to sort of Mike Tyson. You used to see him coming out into the ring and before he walked into that ring or before the bell went, his opponent was frightened to death. 
and, and nine times out of ten, he smashed that opponent and, and the fight was done with. Tyson Fury now, for me, is, he's not at that level at the moment. Um, has he ever been at that level? I'm not so sure. But he, he definitely has faded for me slightly and he needs a big performance. You know, every fighter is, is one punch away from... From, from bringing it back out and I'm not there's no doubt he's a talented man he's a big man he can punch he's, he can box as well there's no doubt about that but I think he needs that big that big performance that big win and if he can get that against you then his stock rises again and everybody thinks he's brilliant but at the moment that that last performance against in, in Garnu I didn't think it was from what I saw of it was convincing I thought it was poor you know did he underestimate his opponent possibly but he needs that big win now, I think, to propel himself back up there and, and get people talking about him again. Because at the moment, he just seems to have fallen out with everybody. I mean, you see him calling people out. And he gets very, very angry on these videos. He doesn't seem to like anybody anymore. So so I don't know which way he's going. Has his head gone slightly? And has he believed his own hype? I'm not too sure. But he needs to get into the ring and let his, you know, let his boxing do the talking. Yeah, he definitely does, Paul. And now, moving on to what Rob touched on there. From his perspective, he's obviously extremely frustrated because we've got these two greats in Joshua and Wilder. They're not fighting each other. And for Rob, that's a shame. That's something that irritates him. It's something that may even prevent him from watching the fight on the night. From a business perspective, can you break down why that's not happening and why it's possibly a good or a bad thing for what's happening in boxing right now? What do you think, Paul? Is that... Do you reckon is, is it more of a two separate parties having uh, different views on what their, their 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 fighter wants, or is it they don't want to face each other to, like James says, all this sort of magic around the actual fight? If they both come together uh, and there's an eventual winner, it kind of ends that 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 sort of magic, doesn't it? Because you know who's better than who. But you've got to have it sometime, Rob. You've, you've got to have it sometime. I think. I think at the moment, boxing is like anything. It, it, well, for the last long while, it's been like that. But sport's about money now, isn't it? especially top-line sport. That's why you see a lot of these events and these big heavyweight clashes take part You know, in, in other sides of the world. A lot of them going out to, to sort of the Middle East, aren't they, in places like that where there's an awful lot of money on them. And you look at this, where you've got two fighters on the same night fighting different people. To me, it's just another money spinner. It's just... They're pushing it a bit more, a bit more, a bit more brinkmanship, shifting it a bit more as they can. Let's fight them on the same night. It'll make a bit more money for when they eventually do fight each other. But it's how much money you want to make out of it, I think, and how much more they're going to push it. Because eventually, like we said, they've, they've got to fight each other. Otherwise, you're never going to know who's the, who's the best. So I think it's just a case of just hyping it up that little bit more, that net, that little bit more percent. Um, and that's, that's how I look at it. What do you think, James? Why can't this fight get done? Too many egos, I suppose, Rob, isn't it? And they want to bleed every last penny, milk them dry before risking them against each other. I mean, Wilder and Joshua have come through very difficult losses and for either party, it'd be an absolute disaster if they were to get beat. You look at these two matchups and we'll see if Paul agrees with me. First of all, let's look at Wilder-Parker. I think it's a big fight. Parker, obviously a former WBO champion, a slick boxer, Somebody who under Andy Lee has looked better than he ever did under Kevin Barry. However, his last two performances, while good, were against limited opposition. Regional level fighters, not somebody of Deontay Wilder's level. And my fear for Parker is that he can make Wilder look ridiculous for six or so rounds, but eventually he's going to land. I think Wilder wins that fight. With the Wallin-Joshua fight, 
I think maybe that's the, the riskier one. That's the one where Walling could potentially cause an upset. He's awkward. He's a southpaw. Joshua's abilities and faith in himself doesn't seem to be quite as it was. But if you were to say, Paul, which one of those fights the upset occurs, which one would you say it'd be? Probably the Joshua fight, to be honest with you. Um, you know, like you said about Wilder, I think he he, he just have enough. I think he, he's only got a clock he wants, hasn't he? And, and you, you're going down, aren't you, with him, the power he possesses. I think with Joshua, he's, he's shown vulnerabilities, hasn't he, in, in recent years in, in his fights. And, you know, he's not that destructible machine that he was, that, that sort of terminator that he was early on in his career. I don't think he's he's quite that anymore now. I think there's a bit of self-doubt within there. I think he's he's a bit chilly now, isn't he, as well? He gets caught and, you know, he's the, the, the alarm bells start going off, don't they? So, I think, if anything, I think his fight's a banana skin. You know, Wallen's no mug. He can, he can land, and if he does land on Joshua, it's how he can take that. You know, Joshua just needs to... I think he needs something like that, though. He needs to come through a wall like that, um, you know, if he wants... To, to take on someone like Wilder. He needs to go through the trenches, not doing the world the good, but he needs to come out on the right side of it and get the win. Um, but it's going to be a tough test for him. There's no doubt about that. And interestingly enough, if you look at those IBF rankings, they're obviously trying to make out that Joshua and Wilder are going to fight potentially down the line. Wallen is number two. Philip Hergovich is currently the number one, albeit controversially, because a lot of people thought Zilly Zhang beat him. He's taking on Mark Demore, who people might remember for fighting David Hay years ago, back on Dave in his big comeback in what he branded Heyday. While Mark Demore was quite a good talker, he couldn't really back it up in the ring, so Hergovich should win that one. Joshua beats Wallin. He takes that two IBF ranking. Fury and Usyk fight. The winner probably gets stripped of that IBF belt. There's every chance we get a Joshua Hergovich for the vacant IBF title, and that wider fight is pushed even further down the line. Yeah, that's how boxing goes, though, isn't it, James? There's, there's all sorts of alleyways, isn't there? And, you know, people coming from, you know, other 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 ways. And then you get your mandatories and then the IBF a lot of this, WBA a lot of that. It's nothing, nothing's ever easy, is it? You know, somebody gets injured or, or something happens in camp and then, you know, that fight doesn't happen. And it, there's never an easy sort of route in, in boxing. There's always something that's that's hiding, isn't there, somewhere? So you'd have to just watch this space and see how it goes. But, you know, all these fights we talked about, you know, Joshua, Fury, Wilder, they're not getting any younger, are they? You know, and, and to fight at that top level, that, that heavyweight division, you can't go on forever. You can't go on forever taking punishment and, and the heavy hands that they're taking. So, you know, eventually it takes its toll on the body. And, um, you know, how long have these guys got left? Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's interesting, isn't it? And when you talk about how long the fighters have got left, somebody who we perhaps didn't even think we'd ever see back in the ring is Joe Miller. He's taken on Daniel Dubois. And before I come to you, Paul, for your analytical analysis, Rob, we've got a fighter here in Miller who has failed multiple drug tests, obviously coming from a rugby background yourself, a big fan of that sport. We've seen fighters, for example, Paul Gallen, who ended up in the world of boxing, test positive for banned substances. If you test positive for a drug that you shouldn't have in your system, should you ever be allowed back into sport? I don't think so, James, because performance-enhancing drugs um, give you an edge, don't they? And that's why people take them. And if you are found guilty then you you potentially put a stain on that sport that you're playing, whether that 
be boxing, whether it be that rugby league, whether it be that football, and there'll always be fingers pointed, won't they, or suspicion brought to your door. So uh, to be to be able to sort of fight again or, or to play again, sort of after, um, it, it might be a problem. But on the flip side of that, the way sort of modern medical sciences and the way sports people have vitamins and they have all sorts of things that they take to get give them an edge and the way that the sporting bodies have a list of banned substances that are always changing because don't forget these drug cheats are always trying to be one step ahead of the uh you know the people who are chasing them so they're always trying to find a way of masking that in blood samples or urine samples so if you are caught uh, with the drugs and uh, in your system and then you are banned for a bit you come back out from the ban why not be able to go and prove that you can still be the best athlete you can be when you're not on the drugs but everyone will be thinking back five years ago let's say he got banned for drugs is he on drugs again if you do you know, end up reaching a, a final or, or being a world champion, these questions will not uh, go away, in my opinion, James. I think you're absolutely right there, Rob. You've hit the nail on the head. Jerome Miller, somebody who was tested positive multiple times throughout his career, and every time we give him a second chance, he ends up testing positive again. And there's always going to be that worry now. Even if he does test clean in his next fight, is he on something, is he not? Fighters go into bouts wondering whether he's on something and therefore could even potentially take stuff themselves and cross that line because of it. Paul, from your perspective, Jerome Miller, somebody who has, he's difficult to analyse in this division because he's not the quickest, he's not the flashiest, but he gets the job done. He weighs, I think, about 300 pounds, which is enormous, and throws more punches than any other heavyweight per round. You could argue that he does that because of the performance-enhancing drugs that he's been caught taking. But what do you think of this Daniel Dubois fight? Because on paper, Dubois, the technically better fighter, the more powerful operator. Joe Miller is hittable, so Dubois could land that knockout. But Miller's somebody who likes to come forward. Dubois has crumbled under the pressure of a similar fighter in Joe Joyce. What, what's your analysis of this one? The thing is, Dubois wants to win this. He's got to, um, he's got to go the extra mile. I don't think he went that extra mile against Joe Joyce. For me, he he was found wanting in that fight, really. And you know, against Millie, you're gonna have to, you're gonna come up against somebody who's gonna throw the kitchen sink at you. And there's gonna be times when you're under the cosh, and it's about how much you want it. And he's gonna have to really want that to to get through that fight. So, you know, he's a technically good boxer as Dubois, but it's that it's the mental toughness and it's also the body toughness as well to be you know, say to your corner, yeah, I want I want this. I'm going I'm going out again. I'm going to another round. You know, you get back to that corner after a tough round, you sit down, you're getting your face sorted, your cuts done, and you've got to want to go back out for the next round, haven't you? And if there's that seed of doubt in your mind there, you you're already beaten, aren't you? And and that's the only thing with Dubois. It's whether mentally he, he's got that toughness to, to get through because he'll get tested against Miller. There's no doubt about that. And you know he's got all the technical skills in the world. But as I mean, he's, I don't like ever questioning a boxer's heart, and I wouldn't do that. But you know, as he as he got that mental attitude to to, to get down there and, and and get the job done. Who knows? We're going to find out, Paul. It's certainly an interesting card. But the elephant in the room, both these bills the Joshua Wilder doubleheader and the Fury Usyk fight, the taking place in Saudi Arabia. What are your overall opinions on that, Rob? Well, it's where the money is, James, isn't it? And the, these 
boxers and promoters you know it's all about making money it's all about securing your future and if someone's going to offer you three times the amount of money that you would be to fight the same person in brighton then you're going to take what the saudis are offering aren't they yeah it's a bit strange obviously because you have to think about your your viewing figures and where people are going to be watching in the world but you boxing fanatics will watch the two top boxers fight on the moon uh if it Four at three o'clock in the morning, wouldn't you? So it's you know you guys are, you know are right with it, but general rugby uh, rugby uh, sorry general boxing uh, you know people like myself who, who watch the big fights will pick and choose if if the time is right for the fight. I'm not going to tune in at three o'clock in the morning to watch a big fight. I don't care who's fighting. So it's a kind of a, a balancing act uh, on the money you're going to get from going to Saudi and what time you're going to fight. That's definitely that's definitely an interesting perspective, Rob, and I think you'll probably share that with a lot of people. Paul, from your perspective, somebody who's a dad boxing fan, somebody who's gone to many a big fight, the likes of Eubank Smith, you were there for so many crawler fights. Is it upsetting in a way that these opportunities, these big fights that we've waited years for, you won't have the opportunity to go to them? No, not not to be honest. I mean, Rob just said there about like comparing it to sort of Brighton. I watched a cracking bill at the weekend in Wolverhampton, and <laughs> you know, you talk about fighters. There was a lad called Tyler Denny who won the European title. He's from the Black Country, and you should have seen the smile on his face. He was at he was at the the Wolverhampton Halls there. He won the European title. He was like a Roy of the Rover story from where he's come from, really, and it meant the absolute world to him. So. You say to him about fighting in Saudi Arabia, he probably never topped that in his career now, what he's just done there, winning that European title in his hometown. So I don't know. I think, yeah, the money's there and that, but there's an awful lot of boxers who will never get to, to box for that. You look at the shows that are on every weekend we've had. There's probably been, I don't know, two dozen shows this weekend that nobody will even know about because it doesn't get published. It doesn't get put on BBC websites or Sky Sports. You've got to actually go into the boxing records to, to find out how people have gone. And it's so difficult sometimes to, to get boxing results. It really is. But, you know, there's so much that goes on out there that people don't know about. So, so yeah, the, the, there's, there's, there's thousands of boxers who'll never get that opportunity. But if you do get the opportunity to go and fight, you know, for massive money like that, no one's going to turn it down, are they? But, you know, there's, there's a lot of boxers who are sort of happy with, with the route they're taking, I suppose, isn't there? But uh, but no, I'm quite happy to, to watch the boxing that I watch. I'm going to Oldham Leisure Centre next Saturday to watch Mark Efron, and there's some fantastic fights on that. There's a, there's a, a Midlands area title on that night as well, so I'll really enjoy that. I enjoy the, the smaller venues as well as these, these big nights. I think, to me, it's not about the venue, it's about... The, the two men in the ring and, and what they give. I mean, I've seen some great fights in sort of, you know, local ledger centres where two boxers have, have stood and you could have put like a tissue paper between them. And, and that's the thrilling part of boxing. You watch a fight like that and you can't take your eyes off it. Well, me just jumping in here though, is boxing then top heavy, James? Because obviously you've got your big fighters, Tyson Fury's Joshua's playing in front of, fighting in front of, I know, 80,000 people. And then you've got, uh, you know, fighters fighting in Bolton Leisure Centre, does the dream of, of getting into them big fights for the, the Leisure Centre fighter keep boxing going, really, because they have that dream of getting there. And if they do reach the, the sort of the pinnacle of their level, someone might come down from the, you know, the, the uh, Tyson Fury level and say, I'll give you an opportunity to fight in front of these big 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 attendants to make big money. Is that is that what's keeping boxing going, you think? 
Yeah, you get a lot of these fighters who perhaps don't have the Olympic pedigree and they're not on Sky Sports straight away that are working tirelessly, shifting tickets to fight on leisure centre bills. I mean, we've seen the likes of Josh Warrington, haven't we, come through that method, who didn't have a big Sky push at the start and had to fight in leisure centres in Leeds and gradually build his way through. And then on fight week, he was still shifting tickets. And on fight day, he was still dropping them off at people's houses. You've got to graph really hard. And sometimes you do get those success stories. But for every Josh Warrington, there's a load of fighters who'll never get their opportunity on Sky. And that's always a shame, I think. And we have this message of what boxing does. And it's true that in communities, it keeps people away from gun violence or knife violence. It keeps them away from gangs. And then at the top of the sport, you have all this disrepute with the likes of Fury and Usyk and bills taking place in Saudi Arabia. You have the negative side. Paul, do you think we often forget the main message of what boxing is about and how it helps people? Yeah, I think we do. I think we do. And there's there's probably loads and loads of fighters up and down the country. We call what we call journeymen, and people sort of scoff at these 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 boxers sometimes. And you look at the records; they might have won two fights and lost two hundred. But you look at how many times they've been knocked out, and these these lads fight week in week out, don't they? And and they're the guys that keep it going because for every prospect that comes through, you know, a Conor Ben or a Chris Eubank Jr. or a, 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 a going to say Matthew and then Campbell Atten. for anyone like that that comes through and makes a debut they need someone to fight they need an opponent and, and there's loads of people like that that keep the sport going and that's what that's what boxing's all about yeah you've got your big bills and your U6 against your Furies and things like that but you know the bread and butter of the sport is down at the bottom that's where it comes from and, and especially the amateur amateur side of it as well so you know, um, you know, long may that continue I mean there's, there's some great fights and you ask any fighter you know, that fights on Sky Sports, you know, people who fought for world titles, you know, lots of Anthony Crawler, I suppose, and, and local guys. You ask them what's been the highlight of their career, and I reckon a lot of them will say to you, winning the British title. You know, winning the British title and, and that Lonsdale belt is is an honour for, for a lot of boxers, and, um, you know, long may that continue as well. So, yeah, we've got a fantastic sport in, in, in Great Britain of boxers, you know, up and down the... The country, you know, not just England, you know, you've got Welsh boxers, Scottish boxers, you know, some fantastic boxers from Ireland as well. And and that's what this sport's all about. And, you know, that that's the side of boxing I love as well. You know, the the the, the guys who are not not always in the in the in the limelight. But you know, people will get the chance, you know, there's always that door that opens, isn't there? You know, you say they're the, the fighters at leisure centres and things like that, but there'll always be a door that opens for somebody and you know, somebody will get you'll get that chance to go on Sky and you get that sort of last-minute phone call, don't you? So there's always that side of boxing. So if you're keeping yourself busy, keeping yourself fit, you've got a chance. Yeah, you most certainly have. It's great to see some fighters get the opportunity and you hear those success stories and it's always nice. You mentioned that fighters being overly happy about winning the British title, how it's an amazing achievement for them, how it's their lifelong ambition fulfilled and that's amazing for them. Paul, hypothetically, if you'd have gone down the pro route if you could have won any title, which one do you think you'd have gone for? What do you think the dream would have been? British titles, I think he's special. I think the British title's special. I mean, some of the best fights I've seen have been for that British title, where it's a, a super middleweight. You know, you had lots of Callum Smith fighting Rocky Field. You know, all those sort of fights where you've got two fighters from the same city. I think they're really, really special. And I don't know, perhaps I'm a bit odd, but... Those sort of fights really, really like the blue touch paper for me. I mean, you can. I'd rather watch something like that than 
than a Tyson Fury and a Usyk fight. Perhaps I'm a bit weird, but I think when you've got two blokes from like, you know rival cities or, or or the same city where they're fighting in that that same arena, whether it be at the Manchester Arena, Liverpool Arena, I think those fights are massive. So yeah, like to fight for a British title, it'd, uh, it'd be something else. But I think for any boxer, I think I spoke to Anthony Crawler a few times, done a few interviews with him, and he's always said that sort of thing that he's been. A, um, a traditionalist where he's always wanted to fight for the English title and the British title and the European title and I still think that's the way to go for boxers coming through you want to see them progress and if I'd have been a pro I think that's how I'd have wanted to go you know take each belt as it comes and work my way through to, to a world a world level because if you want to look back on your career and you've won all those titles you know from, from level one all the way to the top I think that's the that's the dream way of doing it really isn't it it is it's so oh, just as a boxing um you know, outside the the room, general uh, watcher. What's best, British title fighter, European title fighter, or Olympic champion? It's an interesting question, Rob. I mean, you get so many fighters who come through the Olympics who have these seasoned amateur careers, and people often spend arguably too long pursuing that Olympic dream. It's such an achievement to win a medal for your country. I think we can all agree on that. And sometimes when you transition from the pro, from the amateur circuit over to the professionals, it doesn't always work out. There are some fighters, the likes of Frankie Gavin or Tom Stalker, who were fantastic amateurs, brilliant, but couldn't quite cut it in the professional ranks. For me, I think winning that British title means so much. And you can obviously win a European belt, which is great. But as Paul said, there is so much behind winning that British title. It's got this history. So many people want to have won that. You're following a lineage of so many great fighters. Your heroes have probably won that title. And we saw last night, didn't we, Paul, in Manchester, Nathan Heaney, with his raucous Stoke crowd winning the British title and how much that meant to him. Yeah, and, and it was a massive win against a very, very dangerous fighter in uh, in Denzel Bentley as well, wasn't it? So we, there was some fantastic fights on Saturday. I know Richard Riakpour had a... Had a great win as well in the second round, so he, he's going to set up hopefully a clash with Chris Bill and Smith down the line. So he, I think fighters have always got that, haven't they? They're looking forward to like European and world things, but if they can get a domestic dust up with a rival, or or, or get a domestic dust up for a world title, they'll go that way, don't they? So that React Poor and, and Bill and Smith looks a great fight, but yeah. Just going about about Heaney, that was that was a terrific win for him at um, at the Manchester Arena. It was a good night there as well as the the one in uh, in Wolverhampton. I think that was on the DAZN channel, wasn't it? I didn't see that. I saw the the Sky Sports one. Adam Azim had another good win. He won a European title as well. So there was um, there was some big big stories at the weekend. So it's really, big, James, it's, it's about pathways in it, really. And like you said, you're a uh, Olympic champion, British champion, European champion. Where do they all come together? to fight amongst themselves to go to the sort of a heavyweight or, or a world sort of champion level. What, Where do they all come together to, to fight together? I mean, traditionally, a lot of fighters like to do the amateur ranks, win the Olympics or participate in it. Turn professional, you fight for an area title, you can fight for an English title, then a British title, there's the Commonwealth belt as well in there, then European, and then you look for your world honours. Obviously, some fighters who perhaps fall short at the European, at the world level, end up going back down to the European level, winning a belt there. But I think where we really set the distance is you've got fighters who like Nathan Heaney, who's come through now and just won a British title belt. He has a massive 
support from Stoke. And the fact that he's a ticket seller will really propel him and give him an opportunity to potentially fight for a world title. You can use him as a bargaining chip. Go, we've got this massive fan base here making a world title fight, perhaps against a fighter who's a world champion, who's slightly lesser known in that middleweight division. I mean, we haven't got the Golovkins and the Canelos in there anymore, particularly. So you can maybe bring a world champion over. And because he's got that fan base, because he's got that following, and he's just won the British belt, there's validity to it. And he can perhaps get an opportunity to fight for a world belt, where potentially a fighter who maybe has slightly more talent won't get that opportunity. Mm. A minute to go, Paul. Any thoughts on that? No, no, I, I think there's there's some great fights out there for, for like Sahini, as you said, he's a big ticket seller. There's probably a lot of domestic fighters who, who, who'd want to take him as well, isn't there? You know, you've got your likes of um, well, Mark Efron's on it on this weekend. I'm sure he's after a big fight. I mean, I know he lost to Denzel Bentley, so he, he'd probably want a big fight there. So th- there's loads of fights out there for people, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a great sport, great sport. There's some great fights coming up. You know, uh, next month. Uh, and next year as well as some fantastic fights yeah 30 seconds to go James it's going to be in see what happens in the world of boxing in the next 12 months most certainly is Rob I mean the end of this year is going to be massive isn't it we've got Anthony Joshua Otto Wally and Joseph Parker Deontay Wilder on that big card Rob and I think that a lot of boxing fans rightly or wrongly are really looking forward to it so I can't wait to see how that all unfolds yeah, and we'll be talking about it in the Sports Zone on Solvesit Radio. Big thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on your Salford City Radio.